Good morning. My name is Enrique, and I invite you to open your Bibles in uh, Romans chapter 11. I'm going to read verses 33 to 36. That's located in page 803. The Word of God says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, who has ever given to God that God should repay him, for him, unto him, unto him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Good to see you. My name is Paul. I'm one of the pastors here. We're going to look at the uh, book of Job. We've been doing that for the last uh, four weeks. We've got this week and next week left. Um, it's been good to grapple with some of the bigger questions in life of suffering and hard times and to remember that God is God and God is good even through those hard times. So I want to pray and then we'll look at uh, God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can sing your praises in song. We thank you that we can offer our prayers and petitions to you. We thank you for this uh, building to meet in, uh, this shelter from the rain. We thank you for each other, for the church family you've placed us in. We thank you for your scriptures, that they continue to refine our thinking and stretch our minds. Uh, we thank you that uh, through them we hear you speak and that you uh, warm our hearts and that you, you challenge us as to how to live with a right thinking and a right understanding of you. And so I do pray this morning that your spirit will be powerfully at work as your word is preached. I ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen. Beckham mania. David Beckham visited Sydney just over 12 months ago. Uh, he was here for three days. Uh, roads were shut. Uh, people took time off work to go and see David Beckham. Do you know how much revenue he brought in in just three days? Over 20 million Australian dollars in merchandise, in advertising, in people just buying David Beckham stuff. In a recent survey, uh, a staggering 37% of people, 37% of people said that David Beckham had more influence in the world than God. David Beckham has more influence in the world than God. And you know, sometimes it's easy to understand that because he brings in a crowd, he changes people, he changes lives. And, and God, what does God do? See, one of the reasons that people struggle to believe in God is that they don't seem to see him act. He doesn't seem to impact their life in any tangible way. One of the big reasons that people don't believe in God is because of suffering. And they say, how can you believe in a God when there's so much suffering and pain in the world? How can you believe in a God when he doesn't do anything to, to stop the suffering? How can you believe in a God when thousands and millions die in an earthquake? How can you believe in a God when people lose their lives in a tsunami? How can you believe in a God when my mother has cancer? How can you believe in a God when I have terminal pain every day of my life? How can you believe in a God when he does nothing about the suffering and pain in this world? 
How can you believe in a God like that? And so people have got this idea, this picture of God who is impotent, who is powerless, uh, who is distant and doesn't care about his world. And they say, well, if there is a God, why doesn't he do something? If there is a God, why doesn't he end all the pain? And I have to say, often you go into churches and the, the picture or the, the, the impression you get of a God is a God who is powerless and a God who is weak and a God who is small. And we sing songs uh, like love songs to this, this beautiful person who could be Whitney Houston or could be Britney Spears and he's just this weak, impotent, small God. And so my question for you this morning is a simple question. How big is your God? Do you know and worship and adore a God who is powerful enough to control all things? Do you worship and know a God who is big enough to control every evil, every suffering, every pain in this world? Do you, do you know and trust and worship and believe in a God who could end all the pain in this world tomorrow or today? Do you know and worship and trust in a God who has every minute detail of your life in his hands. Is that the God that you know and love and worship and adore? See, we've been looking at Job, and Job's a book about a man who was really grappling with those kind of questions. This is a God who I claim to worship, and yet he doesn't seem to be doing anything. Is he worth worshiping? Is he worth adoring? If you just joined us, Job is a very long book. Job is an upright man. He's a righteous man. He loves God. He fears God. He shuns evil. Uh, He's blameless and he's blessed. And yet, in a series of calamities and tragedies, uh, a blow after blow after blow, God takes away uh, his possessions, his cattle, his children, his health. And Job sits there with his skin oozing Uh, pus and in pain and agony and he cries out to God and in chapter 2 he cries out amazing words God gives God takes away we must trust in God God is sovereign and then you've got month after month after month after agony and agony of crying out to God why God why God and these friends come and they give him lousy advice and they say you're suffering because you're sinning and and Job is saying no it's not true why God why God why God And Job is feeling the agony of loneliness. He's saying, if only I knew where to find him, chapter 23. If only I knew where to find God. I cry out to you, O God, but you don't answer me. And then God speaks to Job through a man called Elihu. We met him last week. And Elihu basically said, Job, remember that God refines you in suffering? God uses suffering a bit like a surgeon in his scalpel. Yes, it's painful. Yes, it hurts. But actually, he's doing good stuff through it. But listen very carefully, Uh, refining, making you more like Christ is not the only purpose of suffering. God making you more like Jesus is not the only reason why we suffer. And Job's about to find that out in today's Bible reading. We left Job and he put God in in a dock. Job has said to God, oh, that I had someone to hear me. I sign now my defense, let the Almighty answer me. He's basically saying, 
Come on, God, tell me, speak to me. I demand to know why am I suffering? Why am I going through this? Tell me, God. And what happens in today's chapter is that God turns the table. How dare Job summon the Lord? No, no, God will summon Job. And so our chapter today begins with these words. Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? God says to Job, who are you, Job, that you would dare to summon me, the God of the universe, to tell you? And God's, God's answer to Job is not what we expect. See, Job wanted to know why, and God won't tell him why. But what God will do to Job and to us is to humble him and to remind him that, Job, you're not God. You're not God. I'm God. So just listen to me and trust me. And these chapters are glorious chapters about the majesty and the magnificence and the might and the awesomeness of God. And we should just humble ourselves and see how, how small we really are and how mighty and great God is. And I pray, end of this talk this morning, you will utter the words, you know, you are God and I am not. You are God and there is no other. So I invite Nathan up and he's going to read uh, chapter 38, uh, verses 1 to 30. That's on page 380 in the Bibles you were given. Give you a moment to get the page. Let me just pray. Father God, we ask that you might speak to us today in the same way that you have spoken to Job. Lord, might you speak through Paul. Might your word come alive to us. Might your spirit challenge us. And may we uh, see your face, Lord, understand your ways, and uh, cry out that you are Lord whatever our circumstances. Amen. Job 38. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me, if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set, or who laid its cornerstone, while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb, when I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and set its door and bars in place, when I said, This far you may come and no farther, here is where your proud, proud waves halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place that it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it? The earth takes shape like clay under a seal. Its features stand out like those of a garment. The wicked are denied their light and their upraised arm is broken. Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the shadow of death? 
Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. What is the way to the abode of light? And where does darkness reside? Can you take them to their places? Do you know the paths of their dwellings? Surely you know, for you were already born. You have lived so many years. Have you entered the storehouses of the snow, or seen the storehouses of the hail, which I reserve for times of trouble, for days of war and battle? What is the way to the place where the lightning is dispersed, or the place where the east winds are scattered over the earth? Who cuts a channel for the torrents of rain, and a path for the thunderstorm, to water a land where no man lives, a desert with no one in it, to satisfy a desolated wasteland, and make it sprout with grass? Does the rain have a father? Who fathers the drops of dew? From whose womb comes the ice? Who gives birth to the frost from the heavens when the waters become hard as stone, when the surface of the deep is frozen? Thanks, Nathan. Simple point this morning. Our, Our God is an awesome God. And I use that word awesome in its literal sense. It's overused by Australians. It's awe-inspiring, deserving of praise, completely majestic. He's the one that you fall at your feet and go, wow, you really are God. See, we live in an age where we think we know the answers to everything. We can replicate reproduction and we can explain nuclear reactions and we can explain how the rain falls and we can explain how volcanoes erupt, but there are still questions that we can't answer, aren't there? There are still questions in life that we want answers to, and science doesn't answer them. And God's not particularly impressed by science. He's not particularly impressed by our technology. And when God speaks to Job, he's saying, go on, Job. I'm going to take you on a tour of my universe. I'm going to ask you a few questions. And any of those questions, you're going to feel about, about this big. So, Job, look at the earth. Chapter 38, verse 4. Were you there when I laid the earth's foundations? Job, you weren't there when I I formed this earth's world. You don't know how I did it. Uh, The sea, verse 8. Who shut up the seas behind the doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the cloud its garments and I wrapped in its thick darkness. When I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place. When I said, this far you may come, but no further. Uh, Job, were you there when... I decided there'd be a continent called Australia and Africa and Europe and the seas would come this far and no more. Were you there when I formed the clouds and given that fluffy sort of look to them? Were you there? Oh, I'm sorry, Joe, I forgot you're, what, you're 50 years old now? Wow. What about the sun? Verse 12. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? Did you ever wake up at four in the morning and say, come on, sun, up you get No, but God does every single day. Verse 16, have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Job, have you ever walked around the whole earth and seen every nook and cranny, every ocean, every every mountain, every valley? Have you ever walked around this earth? You're arrogant enough to think that you know everything. But I control this earth, not you. Or look at the line above, verse 19, What's the way to the abode of light, and where does darkness reside? Tell me, do you know where light comes from? Do you have any power of a light and power of a darkness? Because you're acting as though you do, Job. 
Or verse 22. Have you ever entered the storehouses of snow or seen the storehouses of hail? Job, do you decide when the mountains will be covered in snow and when it will be nice and grassy? Job, do you decide when it will rain and when it will stop raining? Job, tell me, come on. What about the planets? Verse 31. Can you bind the beautiful Pleiades and can you lose the cause of Orion? Can you bring forth the constellations in their season? Uh, have you traveled to the galaxies, Job? Do you hold every star in your hand? Because you're acting as though you, you are, Job. He's basically saying to Job, Job, you're surrounded by things that you don't understand. And you're surrounded by things that you can't understand and can't control. Are you God, Job? Did you make these things? Because if you are God, tell you what, Job, I'll just leave the running of this world to you. But Job, you're not God. So what makes you think you could run the world better than me? And, and God goes on to say, it's not just I created the world. I've actually got the world in my hands. I'm the one who sustains it day by day, hour by hour. So verse 39, he says, do you hunt the prey for the lioness and satisfy the hunger of the lions when they crouch in their dens and lie in wait in the thicket? Who provides food for the raven when its young cry out to God and wander about for lack of food? Uh, Job, do you provide food for the goat and the deer and, and the ravens and the, all the animals of the world? Who provides that food? Not you, Job but I do. Or chapter 39, verse 1, do you know when the mountain goat gives birth? He said, every minute of every day, there's animals around the world giving birth. Do you know every single calf that is born? Every single kitten that's born? Every single puppy that's born? Because I do, because I'm God. It's such a humbling chapter. He says, Job, you don't have a clue. Job, you're ignorant. Job, you're arrogant. You're impotent. And you do not know how this world fits together, but I do because I'm God. And it's kind of like God is saying to us this morning, Church by the Bridge, do you know the 10 million things that are happening at this very second in this world? Do you know about the woman who is just giving birth to a precious child and is just... Joyful and delighting. And do you know about the, the, the calf that's being born in Armadale at this very moment in time? And do you know about that little child who's in Africa? He's 10 years old and he's just digging and digging and digging for some water. Because I do, because I see him and I know him and I'm in control of that. And do you know about the person in North America who's been retrenched for the fourth time? And do you know about the person who's just been given the, the, the diagnosis of cancer? Because I know that, because I see that, and you don't. So stop acting as though you're God. You presume to tell me how to run my world, Job? Oh, sorry, I forgot. You've lived on this earth for 30 years. See, Job's friend had this picture of a God who was, who was predictable, that sort of cause and effect. You're suffering because you sinned. And God is saying, I am so much bigger than you will ever, 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 ever understand. I'm so much more powerful, more majestic, stronger, wider, higher, deeper than your little brain can ever, ever imagine. In 1945, a guy called Clement Attlee was elected as Prime Minister in the UK, a landslide victory. Over the coming weeks and months, there was a guy called uh, Professor Howard Lasky, and he wrote a letter to the new Prime Minister almost every day basically complaining about the state of the country and telling the Prime Minister how to run his country. 
day after day, week after week, these letters would arrive until Attlee just wrote back. And he wrote just a simple letter. These are the words he wrote. He said, Dear Sir, a period of silence from you would now be most welcome. A period of silence from you would now be most welcome. And you can almost imagine God saying to Job, Dear Job, thank you for your 20 chapters, 20 long chapters telling me how to run my world. Now a period of silence from you would now be most welcome. And Job gets it. Just look over to chapter 40, verse 1. The Lord said to Job, Will the one who contends with me correct him? Let him who accuses God answer him. And Job answered the Lord, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. Job is saying, Oh, stupid me. Yep, Job, time to shut up. Shut your mouth, stop questioning, stop asking. You're God and I'm not. Let me just draw a quick application from this. Our God is an awesome God, so humble yourself. Just humble yourself before him. It's humbling to admit that that you don't know everything and you will never know everything. That's part of being a creature. It's part of being a creature, bowing down to an awesome creator. It's humbling to say, I am not God, I don't know everything, and if I knew everything, God would stop being God. So here's the danger. Christians today, we're just so demanding. We're so demanding of God. We assume that everything that takes place in God's world, in God's universe, ought to be explained to us. We assume that God owes us some explanation. We're just control freaks. When we're retrenched and when we're lonely or when we're sick, we just demand answers. And the underlying assumption is, well, there can't possibly be a good reason for God not to tell me everything that I want to know. There can't possibly be a good reason for God not to tell me everything that I want to know because I'm so important. And it's almost like we treat God as this Google God. We treat God like a, a Google search engine. You know, we've got a question, tap in the, the, uh, the keywords, out pops an answer. Because we've got that right, haven't we? Because, hey, I am so important. And sure, we can approach God with confidence because of Christ, but we're still creatures, we're still created beings, and there's no excuse for arrogance. Because, listen to this carefully, uh, there will be some things that you will never understand. There will be some things that happen in your life that you will never understand because you are not God. And God does not have to tell you why he's doing it. And that is humbling. It makes us feel about this big. And perhaps you're here this morning, you need to repent of arrogance that thinks the world revolves around you and you have to demand things of God and he must tell you. Perhaps you need to repent of being like a five-year-old child who has a temper tantrum every time God doesn't give you the answer that you want. Humble yourselves. Something funny, people think that, uh, people get frustrated with Job because there's no solution to his questions. But there is a solution. The solution's just that. Be humble. Job, learn that you're not God. That's a great lesson to learn, isn't it? That's what Job learned. 
yeah, he never denied that God was sovereign. He never denied that God was supreme. But he was humbled by this whole experience. Because God forced Job to look beyond himself. And so he uttered those words in chapter 40, verse 4. I am unworthy. I am unworthy. I, I can't answer your questions, God, because I'm just a creature. I don't know about the 99.9999999% of things happening in the world right now because I'm just a creature. And I've got no business asking you, God, or telling you, God, how to run your world. Humility is one of the most beautiful things of a Christian person. When you see a man or a woman who recognizes they're loved by God because of Christ, but they're still just a creature, and they're just going to wake up each day and say, yep, things may happen today that I'm not in control of because I am not God. But I'll just humble myself before you and say, I trust you. Sure, I'll ask questions like why, but if you choose not to give me the answer, that's okay, because I'm not God. And I pray that here at Church by the Bridge, we'd have that right humility, and we just bow down before him and say, you are God, and I am not. The problem is just so focused on ourselves that we just want answers for us. First thing, God is an awesome God. Second thing, our God is sovereign even over suffering and evil. Our God is sovereign even over suffering and evil. See, if you've been with us for this whole series, you should be saying, but God still hasn't answered Job's question. Job is saying, why do I suffer? Why do I, who don't deserve it, suffer as I do? And God is saying to Job, Look around at my world and just say, wow, you made this world. It's not particularly satisfying. The problem is we live in a beautiful world, but this is a messed up world. It's a, a world where sex has been twisted by adultery and pornography and the wizardry of technology has been twisted by mass destruction and the beautiful sun now gives cancer. And we live in a world where good people and innocent people suffer. And just to say, well, God is God, it doesn't quite satisfy us. It's a, it's a good answer and a right answer, but it doesn't quite satisfy us. And we've got to understand this, that God is still sovereign and in control over the suffering and over the evil. There is nothing that happens in this world that God is not in control of. Let me just read a few verses from chapter 41. 41 verse 1. He says to Job, Can you pull in the, in, in the Leviathan with a fish hook? Or tie down his tongue with a rope? Can he put a cord through his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he keep begging you for mercy? Will he speak to you with gentle words? Will he make an agreement with you for you to take him as your slave for life? Can you make a pet of him like a bird or, or put him on a leash for your girls? These chapters are odd verses because we introduced this, 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 uh, this creature called a Leviathan. And if you look at your footnote uh, chapter 41, it says, possibly crocodile. And so, is God saying to Job, Job, can you tame the crocodile? Is that his answer? Yeah, I am God, and you can't tame the crocodile. In one of his plays, um, George Bernard Shaw said this. He said, God really has to do much better in explaining the problem of evil than to say, you can't make a crocodile. And I agree with him. You've got to do some hard Bible work. Just stick with me just for two minutes. What is the Leviathan? Is it just a crocodile? Let's look back through Job. 
Job 3. May those who curse, may those who curse days curse that day, the day of his birth. Those who are ready to rouse Leviathan. Is that just a crocodile? That makes no sense. Psalm 34, you broke the heads of the monster in the waters. It was you who crushed the heads of the Leviathan. Isaiah 27, in that day the Lord will punish with his sword this fierce, great, and powerful sword, Leviathan, the gliding serpent. Leviathan, the calling serpent. He will slay the monster of the sea. Is that just a crocodile? See, in the context of Isaiah, he's talking about a day where final judgment will come. And the word for Leviathan in the the Old Testament is, is picked up in the New Testament and translated as dragon. And at the end times in Revelation, uh, you've got this picture of, in Revelation 12, the great dragon or Leviathan, same word, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. And now he's starting to get the picture. When he talks about crushing Leviathan, he's not talking about a crocodile. He's talking about who? Satan or the devil. See, Leviathan is the serpent or the Satan, the one who is uh, God of this world, as Jesus calls him, the prince of darkness. Uh, And this is really important to the book of Job because Satan was there in chapter 2, but then he seems to disappear. And God is saying, no, Satan is there throughout the whole book, but listen very, very carefully. I'm in control even of Satan. If you ever want proof that that God has a sense of humor, just read chapter 41. It's like black comedy. Verse 1, can you pull in Leviathan, Satan, with a fish hook? You get, you get a picture of you know, those cartoons where you've got a, a man in a fishing boat with a fishing line trying to haul in a shark or a whale. He's kind of going, can you, can you control Satan? Because if you can control Satan, Job, then maybe you'd be God. All about verse 5 of chapter 41. Can you make a pet for Satan like a bird? Or put Satan on a leash for your girls? Tell you what, Job. Why don't you uh, take Satan home, like a little pet dog, and put him at the, at the dining room table with your, your four- and five-year-old girls and just watch him gobble them up? Right? He, he's this fierce, vicious thing called Satan, and you don't control him, but, but, look at verse 8. If you lay a hand on him, you remember the struggle and never do it again. If you try and take on Satan in a battle and win, let me tell you, you won't forget it in a hurry. But what's important here is down in verse 10. No one is fierce enough to rouse Satan. Who then is able to stand against, look at that last word, me. Yes, Satan is fierce and strong, but who then is able to stand against Satan? No. Who is able to stand against God? And this is what he's saying in these chapters, that Satan and evil is still under the control of me, the almighty, awesome God. So I'm not saying that God created Satan as an evil being. Everything that God made was good. But when God breathed life into his creatures, they have the capacity for choice. They have the capacity to disobey. And Satan was made by God a magnificent figure. And yes, God knew he would disobey in the most dramatic way, but he's still one of God's creatures. And Satan is still under the hand and control of the mighty God and, God. and God can tame Satan at any time and bring him in at any time. As I said in my first talk, he's like on a leash. He's like a, a dog on a leash. And, and God gives Satan so much leash, if you want, so much power. But then he can rail him in at any time. 
You know, being um, on a walk in a bush and you get this sort of massive dog coming bounding towards you and I, I'm, I'm scared of dogs and sort of it's barking and it's, I'm thinking, oh, I wish that owner would get that dog and put that stupid dog on a leash. And at times like that, it can seem as though Satan or the devil is roaming around this world and he's, he's, he's just been let loose. And you and I have got to remember that, that, that God never lets him off his leash. Sure, he gives him a lot of slack sometimes and you're going, I don't understand it. But you've got to say that God never lets Satan go one millimeter beyond what he says. So God's in control of death and sickness and evil and chaos in some mysterious way that you will never understand because you're not God. I want to finish with these two things for you. If you've grasped that, if you've grasped that God is sovereign over evil and suffering, it's a massive comfort. When you say that God is God and he's in control of everything, even Satan and suffering, that's a massive, massive comfort. To know that Satan's not in control, that nothing happens to you is beyond God's control. Yeah, I'd like to know why. I'd like to know why my brother got cancer at age eight. I'd like to know why my father was terminated for, for nine years from, from 11 to 20. I'd like to know why I'm still single. I'd like to know why all these things, but God doesn't have to tell me. But I know he's God. I know in the midst of all these things, he's still be my comfort and my rock and my refuge. I know he holds me in his hands, and that's the most beautiful thing and most comforting thing to know. And if you're like me, when you're in the thick thick of it, and if you've got those nagging doubts, you know, where is God? Why is God not there? To know that, that God has everything under control and Satan's under a leash, that's a massive comfort. As you comfort others, as you comfort yourselves, just look and say, he is God, he is sovereign, I might not get the answers, but that's okay. But don't, lose it, don't leave it there. Look at these verses from Colossians chapter 2. It's not just a comfort, it's a confidence that actually God's not in control of Satan, not just in control of Satan, he has a victory over Satan. And you saw that at the cross. Verse 13, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncertainty of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. And he forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us and stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Sure, it's good to know God is in control and over Satan, but... This side of the cross, this side of Calvary, you and I have confidence that he has victory over Satan. You see, we, there's another man who was suffering terribly, not just uh, a skin disease, but his skin was torn from his back by a cat of nine tails. And there's another man who hadn't, didn't have sores on his feet, he had nails through his feet. There's another man who sat not on ash heap, but on a cross at Calvary, and he... He died for you. He died in your place, on your behalf. His name was Jesus. And this verse tells us he had victory over Satan. He made a public spectacle of all those powers, triumphing over them by the cross. 
And so when you think about the cross, please don't think about forgiveness. Please just don't think about the wrath being taken away. Please don't just think about him being your substitute. Think about him having victory over Satan. Victory over the devil. Victory over Leviathan. Yet you'll still get sick and you'll still experience poverty and you'll still be abused and you'll still go bankrupt and you'll still suffer depression. But you can look at the cross and you say, at that day in history, Satan was defeated. And I'm just waiting and waiting and waiting until that's realized in in glory in heaven. And that's the confidence that, that I have and I hope that you have. Confidence that that God is awesome and God is sovereign and God is victorious. And, and I'll never have all the answers to my questions, but I know that he loves me. I know that he holds me in the palm of his hand. I know that Satan in my life will never be given one millimeter beyond what God will allow. And I know, I know that looking back at Calvary, looking forward to heaven, that I will one day see him. <laughs> The one who told the oceans to stop and the one who fed every raven and every bird and the one who told the rain to fall and I will see him and I'll live with him and I'll be his child for all eternity. And so I just wait. We pray that you'll leave here this morning saying, I've got an awesome God who's in control of all things. And you feel about this form because you're just a creature. But then actually you'll feel about this big because that same God knows you and loves you and calls you his child. Let me pray. Words of uh, Job. Job says, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I'll give you a moment just to think about how big and awesome and mighty God really is. Father, we look up to the skies and we see the works of your hands. We see the moon and the stars that you put in place and we see the hills and the mountains and the oceans that you created. And we see all the, the wildlife around us and you feed them and you care for them. And we see ourselves that you've clothed us this morning, you've housed us, you've fed us. We see you provide everything for us and that you are God and we are not. Father, forgive us. Forgive us for our arrogance. Forgive us for the way that we demand answers of you. Forgive us for the way, Father, that we think that we control everything. Humble us, I pray. Father, help us to have our eyes fixed on you with hearts full of gratitude and praise because of Christ, with minds which are stretched by the, uh, the wonder and the might of your hand. And Father, I do pray that as we suffer in this world, or as we comfort those who do suffer, uh, that we would be be reminded, Lord, that you are in control of all things, even Satan. 
even the evil in this world, you know it, you control it. Lord, we don't know why you allow things to happen, and we don't know why you don't stop things from happening. But we know that you're God, and there is no other. And so we praise you as our God. In Jesus' precious name.